reading through the book of Romans, and I was considering what to do after following the revival meeting, and I wasn't sure that Romans 13 would exactly fit, but then the more I looked at it, realized, oh yes, it does. And so I want us to uh, read Romans 13, and I'll, we'll be speaking about that. Uh, following your Bibles as I read. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for, for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually unto this very thing. Render therefore to the, all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear falseness, false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, to, to, for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the instruction we find there. And I pray that you might help us to look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ and realize that it could be very soon. And I pray our lives will, will speak to that truth that we believe. Because we know he's coming, Lord, we want to live right. And so I pray that we will. If there's one here today who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day of faith for them. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each of our hearts as Christians, that you might challenge us to be what we should be for your glory. Give enablement to bring the message, and we'll thank you for what you accomplished, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christians in Rome to whom Paul wrote this epistle were living in a wicked city where idolatry was common and immorality of all kinds was practiced and even glorified. What we are seeing in the U.S. today, where, no, where moral norms are being thrown aside, was common in Rome and the Roman Empire. Fornication, adultery, homosexuality, pedophilia, and rape were expected behavior by strong, dominant males and also in their rulers, and we can see that as we study history of their rulers were that way. So when Paul wrote to these Christians and told them to be subject to the higher powers, it was a command that was not easily obeyed. 
It was only natural for these God-fearing people to want to resist and to rise up in rebellion against the wicked government under which they lived. And for them to live as Paul instructed them, it would mean that they would stand out as entirely different than the society in which they moved. And that is what we find today. If we as Christians live like God wants us to live, we will draw attention to ourselves and we will not be, surpri- and not be surprised if it also causes uh, persecution. Remember, Paul first wrote to the, to the Romans, then he went to the Romans as a prisoner, and then later he eventually died in Rome as a martyr. And so he was martyred for his faith. We must, we have, we've just completed the revival meeting with, with evangelist Mike Pelletier here at Sugar Run. And the Lord worked in our midst and stirred our hearts to be more like he wants us to be. And it's our prayer that God would continue to work in us and continue to make changes in us that are needed. And since we've been studying through the book of Romans, it should not not surprise us that it falls right in line, really, with what we were challenged to do uh, throughout this week. As the Romans, we do live in a wicked age. I do not think it's an exaggeration to say that many of our leaders in government are also wicked. The Christian way of life and the world's way clashes every day, so how are we as Christians to live in a wicked age like we, like we find ourselves? Romans chapter 13 really gives us a threefold answer to that question. How are we as Christians to live in this wicked age? The threefold, threefold answer is seen, uh, first of all, that we're to be loyal to government. Now by loyal, I qualify that a little bit, a little bit and say, by loyal, I mean to be in subjection to or submission to. The Bible says in verse 1, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Every soul. That means believers and unbelievers. So every soul is to be subject to the higher powers. Now remember, Paul is talking to people who lived in a wicked city under a wicked government. And he said, be subject unto them. Now, what's the... He says to the higher powers, that means the governmental authorities who were over them. Now, what's the realm of their loyalty? I'm sure that uh, it doesn't include everything because we find later there are certain things we cannot do. But the realm of their loyalty is spelled out here. The first one is this, they are to obey obey the laws. Look at verse 1. Let every man, be, every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and for they that resist receive to themselves damnation. Look at verse 5. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. So he says we are to obey the laws. So the government, when they give us laws to obey, we are to obey those. Now, it says that uh, we're to uh, be subject unto. I thought it interesting when I looked at the word there, subject unto. It has the idea of arranging yourself in order under. And the root word is, is a word that arrange yourself in order. And the prefix to it is upa, which means under. And so arrange yourself in order under these powers. So we're not to rise up in rebellion, we're to be orderly people, and we're to be under those people, and we're to obey the laws as long as they don't tell us to disobey God. And so the realm of our loyalty is to obey the laws. 
It's wrong to resist. Look at what verse 2 says. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power. The word resisteth is the same root word that uh, is the word subject. So the word subject is to arrange yourself in order under, and resisteth is to it's also arrange yourself in order against. So you don't arrange yourself in order against. So even though our nation is wicked, it is not right for us to rise up in rebellion against our nation. I personally don't like our president. I mean, nothing personal, but I don't like his ways. I don't like his laws. I don't like any of that. But I am never as a Christian to rise up in rebellion against the government, to arrange myself in order against them. The Lord forbids us doing that. And so that's not our option right now. And we're, to, we're not to resist because if we resist, the Lord says you resist the ordinance of God because God is the one that set that person up. Now, election time, back a couple years ago, uh, I did not vote for the one who's in power, who, the one who is the president. And uh, it was God's will for me, I think, to vote for who I voted for. I don't believe it would have been God's will for me to vote the other way because that would be a vote for homosexuality and abortion and all of those things. So it was not God's will for me to vote for that person. But it evidently was God's will for that person to be the president of the United States because God sets up kings and he takes them down. God has a purpose for everything he does. And so uh, we have to understand, God made that decision. It was our decision. We had to do what was right what God wants us to do, but God has the right to do what he wants to do, even though it might not be what he wanted wanted us to vote for. And so we we always stand up for what's right, but God sometimes moves in people who we don't like, and he has a purpose for that. I don't know all that purpose, but I believe God has a purpose. Also, so we're to obey the laws. Another part of that realm of our subjection, our loyalty, is that we are to pay taxes. I don't like that, you don't like that, but we're supposed, still supposed to pay our taxes. He says, uh, pay ye tribute. Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due. The Lord confronted that situation or that subject back in Matthew chapter 17. I want to read it to you. Verse 24, and when they were come to Capernaum, they, they that received the tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your, your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth have custom, uh, take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? So the kings of the earth don't tax their kids. <laughs> they tax the strangers. And uh, Peter said, Of strangers. And Jesus said unto them, then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast the hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. Now I imagine there's been some fishermen ever since that's been looking for tax money in fish's mouths. (laughs) But I don't know of anybody that's found it. But it wasn't hard for Jesus to do that. He commands everybody and they do they and uh, they and the animals all do his will, and so he evidently commanded that fish to get on that hook. And before he commanded the fish to get on the hook, he commanded the fish to pick up a coin. And so the fish was ready with the money that was needed, and he picked up, he caught the fish, and the and the, and the money was in his mouth, and he paid the taxes. 
the Lord says, let's not offend them. I know we could argue that uh, you're the king's children, and you don't need to do this. But we live in, under this, this order right now, and so let's not offend them. You go pay the taxes. There was another time in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, and it says this in verse 17. It, it, it's, it's referring to um, also paying taxes. Uh, Matthew 22, verse 17. And it says, Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? They're questioning Jesus. Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye, me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. So show me the money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, unto God the things which are God's. So go ahead and pay your taxes. So that's a realm of our loyalty, our submission to the government is we're to pay our taxes. So obey our laws, obey the laws, and pay the taxes. The third thing is this, honor the authorities. Fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Why? Because God ordained those, and God set them up, and they are actually ministers of God. We'll find out how they're ministers of God in a minute. But the Lord says, I set them up, and therefore give honor to them whom honor is due. Now, I personally, as I've said, don't like the President of the United States and his ways and his politics and all of that. And I often, I sometimes listen, you know, on TV or on the radio, and uh, they're talking about the President of the United States. And I understand and I agree with many things that are said, but I do not like it when uh, these news people or whatever it is make fun and light and joke and all that about mental capacity and all that. I agree with them. But I think it's we cross the line when we just start mocking and making fun of. The Lord says, give honor to whom honor is due. And uh, uh, fear to whom fear is due. Why? Because God set them up. God has a purpose for them. I don't understand it. I don't, I'm not supposed to agree with their ways, but I'm supposed to sit back and let God do what he's going to do and just disagree with them, yes. But mocking and all of that, I think we probably need to stay away from that. And I would have to say I've done some of it myself, but it's not right. So that's the realm of our subjection to uh, government authorities. We're to obey the laws, pay the taxes, and, on, and give honor to whom honor is due, fear to whom fear is due. Now, our re, the reason for our loyalty is, is uh, also spelled out in this passage. The reason is because of God's plan. You see, government is God's plan. Human government was instituted by God back in Genesis chapter 9. Now, there are three institutions instituted by God, and that is the home, the government, and the church. Those are instituted by God. And uh, so the home is, interest, uh, is instituted by God. Marriage, which forms the home, that's instituted by God. And God gives the, uh, gives the directions about that. A man and a woman are to be married, not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. That's not a pleasing to the Lord. And so God instituted the home. God also instituted government. And here's the passage where God instituted that. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 says, Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Now God has also said, Thou shalt not kill. That's the individual. But God says government 
the assembly of men who are in charge and making sure society goes right, God gave them the, the right to uh, take a life. And so capital punishment is given, is given to the, the government, not to people. And so God gives that right. Now, people argue against capital punishment all the time. But it doesn't matter what they argue, what they say. God says that is right. And so if a man sheds blood, by, by man shall his blood be shed. And so government was instituted by God. So the reason we uh, are loyal to government because it's, it's instituted by God. Also because of government's purpose. Now what is government's purpose? This is where we, we learn what government is supposed to do. And we find that many times our government is not doing that. But here's what they're supposed to do. It says in verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Now that's been flipped on its side, hasn't it? That's been turned around. Those in authority today have been, have been against those who do right and for those who do wrong. And many times they take the side of the criminal and they're against the person who's innocent. And uh, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. But God says, the reason I put government in there is for two reasons. They're to, they're, they are to help those or support those or praise those that do good, verse 3. And he says, do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. That's the way government should act. It should be praising those who do right, supporting those who do wrong. And then it also should be doing the opposite and to those that do, that do wrong. That is, it's to punish those who do evil. Look at verse 4. He says, for is the minister of God to thee for good. But then he says, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now, the sword is not something that you pat somebody on the head with. A sword is not somebody you give a spanking with. Uh, something you give a spanking with. A sword is used to kill. And the Lord says the, the government bears not the sword in vain. And so they have the right to bear the sword. And the government is to punish evildoers and praise those who do right. That's what government is supposed to do. And so uh, the Lord supports capital punishment. He supports the government's right to, for capital punishment. In Exodus 21, verse 12, it says, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. Paul was standing before Festus one time. And he said to, the, to him, if I have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. Paul recognized that the government had the right to put to death. And so we're to be loyal to government because of God's plan for government, that God planned it that way, God's purpose for government, uh, and that is to reward those that do good and, and punish those who do evil, and also because of man's conscience. Look at verse 5. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, thinking that you'll get in trouble, but also for conscience' sake. And so God's told us to do something, and the Christian, if we don't do what God tells us to do, it should bother our conscience, so we do it for conscience' sake. Now, there is a restriction to this loyalty to government, and the Bible spells it out. You see, God gives government the authority to do two things, as I've said, praise the good and punish the evil. But sometimes government just reverses that. In situations like that, it puts the Christian in a, in a conflict with their conscience. 
the Lord tells us to do something and the, and the government has done opposite of what they're supposed to do. They're punishing people who do right and they're rewarding people who do wrong. And that's happening a lot in our nation today. And um, I won't get into the details because of a lack of time. But in situations like that, what is the, what is the Christian to do? Well, there comes a time where the Christian has to say, I must obey God rather than man. Let's look at it in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor preach in the name of Jesus. Now, somebody tells you, cannot tell about Jesus, and that's a place where you can say, sorry, I've got to disobey this law. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it be right in the sight of man, in the sight of God, to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot speak, and the things we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for what that, for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old, on whom the miracle of healing was showed. And so then notice what they did. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord God, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word, thy word. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and the signs and wonders may be done by the, by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. They said, don't preach in this name. And they went ahead and preached in the name of Jesus. You see, back year, a couple years ago, our church quit having services for seven Sundays. And we did that because of the fear of COVID and all that was told about it. And then the governor, I remember the governor came up and said he was going to extend these, these restrictions and everything. And I said to our church people, I said, that's enough. We're going back to church. If you want to come, fine. If you don't want to come, that's fine. We went back to church on that Mother's Day, and we've been back ever since. I don't believe that will ever happen again. When the government says you cannot meet, I think we should say, sorry, but God says we should. (laughs) Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. There comes a time when you have to say, we will not obey man. Uh, In chapter 5, verse 18, the apostles, it was said of the apostles in verse Chapter 5, verse 18, they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak of the temple to the people all the words of this life. And they did that. And then look at verse 28, saying, Did not that we straightly, they came to them and said, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in, the name of, in thy name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered said, We ought to obey God rather than men. We go back to the Old Testament, we find accounts of that. You remember the three Hebrew men in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar made this large uh, image of gold because you remember Daniel had told him in that image that he saw that you are the head of gold. I think it went to his pride. And so he made this large image of gold. And he said, Everybody's got to bow down and worship it. You must do that. If you don't, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were just three of the many Jews there, and they were the three that said, we'll not do it. 
We will not obey man because he tells us to disobey God. And so they stood. They were cast into the fiery furnace, and God spared them from the flame. But another account was in chapter 6, and Daniel was told not to pray to anybody but to, but to the king. And Daniel, he said, I can't do that. So he opened up his windows like he did every day, and three times a day prayed in defiance of the king's order. And they threw him in the den of lions, and the Lord protected him. But what's it say, saying to us? It's saying we are to obey government unless they tell us to disobey God, and we're not to do that. So the first thing as we live in a wicked age that we're supposed to do, according to Romans 13, we're to, we're to be loyal to the government. The second thing is that we're to be loving to our neighbors. Look at verse 8, back in Romans chapter 13. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Owe no man anything. Now, there's different interpretations of this. Some take it strictly to mean you're never to have any debt. Uh, many other Bible believers and, and good scholars of the Scripture say they don't believe that it's that exclusive because there's places in the Bible where people borrowed and they paid it back and all those things. And, but I do believe it means this. You're to pay your debts. You're to pay your debts. If you owe something, you're duty-bound by God to pay it. So he says, owe no man anything. But here's a debt you can never fully pay, and that is you love one another. You don't say, well, I'm going to love you today, but after that, it's over, you know, no more. The God says, love one another. That's a debt you never get fully paid because you love somebody, you do something good for them, you're kind to them, and you, you show love to them, and the next day comes, and you're to do the same thing. So you never pay that debt off. It always is there. You always should pay that debt of love. But to love one another, you're to do that all the time. Now, love, he says, true love, and this is agape love. I looked it up and says, make sure that was the kind of love, and it's agape love. That's the kind of love that God has for us. Works no ill to its neighbor. The way you define this love is you have a neighbor, and anybody you come in contact is your neighbor, by the way. And so you have a neighbor, and you're never to do ill to them. Love works no ill to his neighbor. You're never to do wrong to anybody. That's the Christians not to do that. That's not our place. And then he mentions five things. He mentions thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Now that sort of engulfs everything. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You should not take another man's wife. Thou shalt not kill. Don't take another man's life. Thou shalt not steal. Don't take another man's possessions. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't you deceive anybody. Don't you deceive anybody. Don't you lie to anybody. Is it ever right to lie? No, it's not ever right to lie. You are not to lie. Lie is a sin. Lying is a sin. So you're not to lie. And you're not to covet. That's wanting to take other people's possessions. Desiring what they have and wanting to take it. The Lord says you're not to do that. And love will keep you from doing any of, any of these things. Love will keep you from doing wrong because it says in verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. And so we're to make sure that we love our neighbor and we don't do anything wrong to them. You see, if you love, you would never take somebody else's wife or somebody else's daughter or somebody else's granddaughter or something like that and do wrong to them. You see, sexual sin is very prevalent today. 
But sexual sin in this day is always wrong as it always has been wrong. It's never justified. I don't care what you, what you have to say about why you did it. It's not right. Sexual sin is wrong. And sex is only permitted inside marriage, never, uh, never outside of marriage. No, no stipulation, I mean, no circumstances would say it's okay. So your argument doesn't uh, change that. Your affluence, you say, I'm, I'm wealthy, I can do lots of things. Your affluence doesn't change it. Your attitude doesn't change it. Well, I was trying to help somebody, you know, or I was trying to uh, calm them down. It doesn't matter. Your age doesn't change it. I had a, a uh, uncle one time, I've told you this before, but he lived in a retirement center. And he said, Earl, he said, some of the most wicked people I ever met are in this retirement center. And he said that if they don't turn to the Lord, when they get older, they don't get better, they get worse. <laughs> and he said their talk is wicked and all of that. So your age doesn't change. It's never right regardless how old you are. It's never right about your affections. Your affections don't change. You can't, you can't say, well, I love them so much. That doesn't matter. <laughs> that doesn't matter. It's wrong. And God says you're not to do that. And because you're to love your neighbor. You're not to do wrong to your neighbor. Love fulfills the law. Verse 8 and verse 10 says, Love for God and love for man will cause us to obey the, the law. And if you obey the Lord, the law, as the Lord says, it's summed up in two things. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. And if we do those, we'll, we'll obey all the commandments because love works no ill to his neighbor. And so we've been talking about revival, getting close to the Lord. When you get close to the Lord, what happens? You say no to sin. I mean, that's just, you draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh, draw nigh to you. If we draw nigh to the Lord, sin doesn't look so good because he's absolutely perfect. He has no sin. And the closer you get to the Lord, the more sin is repugnant to you. You don't want anything to do with it. It's, you say no because I love Jesus. And so we trust the Lord. We draw close to him. And so love fulfills the law and helps us not to do anything wrong to anybody else, to any neighbor. So love, um, so the Lord wants us to love our neighbors. So be loyal to the government, love your neighbor, and then also look for the Savior. Look for the Savior. That's what this passage tells us. Notice Notice verse 11. And that knowing the time that now it's high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Our salvation is nearer when we believe. What's he talking about? I thought we were already saved. Well, the Bible teaches that there's three tenses of salvation. There's the past tense, that's justification. I can tell you the day I was saved. I, I mean, I don't remember the exact date, but I remember it was on a Thursday, and I remember it was in the spring, and I remember when I was, I was 22 years old, and I can remember the emotions, and I can remember uh, talking to the pastor. And before I talked to him, I had to control myself. because, I, And for, for nine years, I had been living a lie. And uh, I finally broke down, and I told him that I was lost. <laughs> and I remember when God saved me that day. And so that was the day I was justified, declared righteous. And the Lord took away all the things that were wrong. He took away my sin. He, he took away the guilt of that sin and the burden of that sin. And the Lord forgave me that day. And that's my past salvation. The Bible also speaks of a present salvation. That is, we're being saved daily from the power of sin and the, the dominion of sin over us. 
And it's called sanctification as God draws us closer to himself and he works on us. He's, uh, he's uh, making us more what he wants us to be. That's described in Philippians chapter 2. It says, work out your own salvation. You already have salvation, but work out that own salvation. That is, make it, make it evident to everybody that you're saved. Let it be shown that you're a changed person. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then it says, for it is God which worketh in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. God's working in us. He's saving us every day from the power of sin and changing our lives. And then there's a future salvation. And that future salvation refers to the redemption of our body, that someday God's going to complete it all and he's going to give us a brand new body. Now, I'm justified in Jesus, but I'm not complete yet because I still have this sinful flesh. Do you know this preacher, I've pastored probably for 47 years, this preacher still has evil thoughts. I hate to bust your bubble. You probably knew it anyway because you do too. Every one of you do. This preacher still has things I fight with, and God gives me victory over those. And, but but I, I'll be glad to get rid of this flesh so this, because when the Lord gives me this brand new body, I'll never have any desire whatsoever that's wrong. And I'll have a body that never grows old. I'll have a body that's going to live forever with Jesus. I'll have a glorified body. That's that future salvation. And I believe that's what Paul's talking about here. When he says, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The day when we're going to be like Jesus is nearer than when we believed. And so he says, because the Lord's coming, because that salvation, that's, that's future salvation, that when he changes us is going to be when Jesus comes and raptures his church. That day is coming near and, near, and because that day is coming near, it's time to wake up. He says in verse 11, that knowing the time that now it's time to wake out of your sleep. You see, many times we as Christians are asleep. We're asleep to the passing of time. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We're asleep to that because we don't realize that we might not have much longer. I've had funeral services for babies who were still born. I've had funeral service for young children. I remember a six-year-old boy that was killed on his bicycle. I had his funeral service. It was a terrible thing. I've had funeral services for teenagers and young adults and middle-aged adults and older adults. I've had funeral service for all age groups. And it just shows us this. Death is no respecter of persons, and we never know when our last day is coming. If you knew that your death was going to be in a week, you'd probably change the way you live because this is your only opportunity to live for Jesus. But many times we're asleep to the passing of time and we don't understand that day after day goes by and we're not changed. We're not what we should be. And so uh, many are asleep. Many are asleep to temptation. Remember the disciples. Jesus said in Matthew 26, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And many are asleep to temptation. They don't they don't have their guard up, and they just, they're overtaken by temptation, and they weren't ready, and they, and they weren't, weren't remembering the Scripture and trusting the Lord and praying about it, and, they, and, over, and temptation came, and it overcame them. didn't have to be, but it happened because they, they were asleep to temptation. Many are asleep to the results of sin. You remember Samson? The Bible says he was in the lap of Delilah, asleep. 
And Delilah called in after he revealed to them her, his strength, the reason for his strength. And she called in the barber and they cut his hair. And you remember what happened? They put him in chains and they poked out his eyes and made him a slave. And I mean, this great, big, strong man lost his strength, lost everything. And he was a believer in the Lord. He was one of the judges that the Lord uses, used. But he was asleep to the result of sin. And many Christians go on their way and they participate in sin. They don't realize what's going to happen. What's going to happen. How many people have, have spent a night in so-called pleasure and then afterwards it ruined their, to- their home, their life, the respect of their parents, uh, respect of their grandchildren, everything. It just ruined it because of that. And uh, we're asleep. We don't realize what happened. Can we correct, correct any of those things that happened? No. We can be forgiven but we can make sure that we don't go asleep again. And the Lord says it's time to wake out of sleep. Some are asleep to God's call. You remember Jonah? Jonah, the Lord called him. He fled to Tarshish, went down the ship, went fast asleep. And they had to wake him up and make him realize what was going on. He was asleep to that. The call of God was on his life, and he was asleep to that. And so many people are just asleep. Remember Jonah also, he's asleep to the needs of people around him. He didn't care. The Lord says 120,000 people can't discern their right hand from the left. That's probably young children. And he said, they're, they're in Nineveh, and you don't even care about them, Jonah. You don't even care. You want me to destroy them. And so many times we're just asleep to the needs of people around us. So it's time to, to wake out of sleep. It's also to cast off the works of darkness. I want you to notice some of these that he mentions in verse 13. The works of darkness, rioting. Rioting is reveling, noisy mirth, disorderly parting, centered around sin. There's so much of that goes on today. Disorderly, uh, just uh, mirth and, and around sin, people laughing about sin. Bible, the Bible says fools make a mock of sin. And so what should we do? Just get rid of that. Cast off the works of darkness. Drunkenness should never be known among the children of God. Drunkenness, he says, and chambering. Chambering is immorality, illicit sex. In today's terminology, it'd be shacking up. It's wrong. It's always been wrong. There's no, no exception whatsoever. A wantonness is unbridled lust. Strife is contentions and disputes. And envying is jealousy. And the Lord says, put off all these things. It's time to cast off. Why? Because the Lord's coming. And it could be any moment. And if he came and found we as Christians doing some of the things that Christians do, we would be so ashamed to see him, realizing he did everything for us, and we're dabbling around in the sin that he paid for on the cross of Calvary. All sins are works of darkness. First Peter 2 verse 9 says, We were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. First John 1 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You say you love Jesus? and you walk in darkness, you're a liar. You lie and don't do the truth. The way we show we love God is to obey God. And so he says, you need to put off the works of darkness. And it's time to put on the armor of light. The armor of light probably is it's what we find in Ephesians chapter 6, the whole armor of God. That's the girdle, girdle with truth, and the breastplate of righteousness, and our feet shod with the Preparation of the gospel of peace and the shield of faith, which we can quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And if we're clothed in those things, we're doing what is right, the, the, shield, the, the breastplate of righteousness. 
we're, we're believing the Lord and holding this, the, the shield of faith. And we're telling people the gospel, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we're using the word of God and we're sure of our salvation and all those things that we have the armor of light and therefore we can all work, all, walk honestly, he says, as he says in verse 13. The word honestly means becoming. So you live like this. You carry the armor, you put on the armor of light, and you do what God wants you to do. The Lord says that's becoming to the child of God. But if you do these works of darkness, it's very unbecoming to you. Have you ever had a lady, maybe it's your wife or a girlfriend or something like that, or maybe just somebody real special to you, and a a grandma or a mother, and she says, hey, does this look good on me? (laughs) Put that dress on, and you say, does this look good on me? Have you ever been to the store and uh, with your wife or the lady and, and they're looking through dresses and they say, uh, what do you think about this? Would this look good on Jenny? And I've said something like that. You know, that looks like Jenny. What do I mean? It's maybe another dress wouldn't look like Jenny. Or she says, you think this would look good on Joy? And I said, uh, yeah, that looks like Joy. I think she would like that. What's that mean? That would be becoming of her. The Lord says all these works of darkness, they don't look good on the child of God. Don't we know who we are? Don't we know that we're going to see Jesus any day? It doesn't look good on us when we participate in the works of darkness. So he says, put on the armor of light. And then he says, it's time to put on the Lord Jesus. And I believe that means just be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. When somebody wrongs you, be like Jesus. What did he do? He turned the cheek. (laughs) What did Jesus do? He died for that sinner. They were nailing him to the cross, and he cried. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Be like Jesus. Jesus was kind. Jesus was long-suffering. Jesus was always right. He never did anything wrong. And that's what we're to be like. We're to put on the Lord Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, That means imitators of God. Imitate God. What would Jesus do in this situation? I'm facing a trial. How should I handle it? I should say, what would Jesus want me to do? What would Jesus want me to do? If I've drawn close to the Lord, that would be my response. What does Jesus want me me to do? When we remember all that God has done for us, it will make us easier to it make it easier for us to say no to the world, no to the flesh, and no to the devil. When we see Christ, we sang that song on purpose a while ago. When we see Christ, I mean, just think about it. You see him, and you will all of a sudden realize, as you've never realized before, this is the one who died for me. This is the reason I'm in heaven and not in hell. This is the reason. He's the reason. He did all this for me. And if we haven't gotten serious about our Christian life, and we've just been mediocre Christians, not really serious about it, don't read our Bible, don't pray, don't go to church like we should, don't give to the Lord, we don't obey the Lord, we just drift along. When you see Jesus, if you're truly saved, I guarantee you, you'll be so ashamed to realize that he did all for the all for you and we didn't do anything for him may god help us not to do that 
as I've entitled the message, Jesus is coming. And because he's coming, we better straighten up. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for just reminding us that we're strangers down here. We're just pilgrims walking through this world. And we're to obey the laws while we're here. But we're to remember, Lord, that we represent somebody else, and that's Jesus Christ. And we're citizens of heaven. We're going home someday. And I pray that when we go, go home, we'll hear you say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, Lord, if anybody here today has been failing you, I pray that they might know that you love them. And you've, if you've saved them, Lord, they're already saved. They just haven't been living right. May they know that you want them to come close to you because you say, if you'll draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. And I pray that you'd work in their heart. Help us to be genuine Christians because surely you're a genuine Savior who loves us. I pray that you might work in our hearts in Jesus' name.